have just finished up a series that Jared Hurd, our teaching pastor, led us in called Forward. And he talked about the fact that God loves us just where we are, no matter where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And that he calls us forward. And just like he asked, he led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to a promised land, to a better situation. He wants us to go on a journey with him. Uh, we begin a brand new series today that I'll be teaching for four weeks that's uh, entitled Others. And we're going to be talking about the fact that God wants us to move forward in our relationship with others as well. That it is a journey that he wants us to be on. And, and here's where he wants to lead us. He wants to lead us from where most of us, all of us actually began. And that is where self was all important. And most of our energy, uh, most of our efforts were inward focused. Where we were concerned about how we felt and what our needs were and how, what other people thought about us and what other people ought to do for us. And he wants instead to move us and call us to being concerned about others. And in that equation, we are caring about what other people feel and what their needs are and how we can be a blessing to them and how we can influence them for good. And he wants to take us on this journey toward others. Now we're gonna actually spend four weeks talking about this one particular journey. And the reason that we're spending so much time in this particular moving forward of our life is because it's the most important thing in our life. When they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, he said it's about your relationship with God. But he went on to say the second greatest commandment is that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And so it made the top two this thing about caring for others and relationships are number one and number two. No less than 60 times in the New Testament alone we see the phrase one another. And one of the places that we see that is in our text today. If you take your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Philippians, the second chapter. If you don't happen to have a copy of God's Word, you can look there on the back of your worship guide, and that scripture is listed there for your convenience. Philippians, the second chapter, beginning in verse 3, says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Uh, once again, when you came in today, you received an annual commitment card. And I think it's interesting that of the five commitments that we encourage you to uh, recommit to every year, that four out of the five had to do with others. Uh, the first one is to connect with others, to get into a Bible study group, a, a life group, so that you know what the needs are of other people. If you hang out in this auditorium and you never get in a smaller group, it kind of insulates you from having the knowledge of someone's need that you might have the resources to meet. The second is to serve one another. And whenever you serve, whether you're working in our student ministry or you're working in the nursery or you're helping people and greet them when they come into the church or you're working in our inner city where we do work with the poor, you're serving and, and you're not just filling a position, you're touching lives. And then there's a commitment to give. And you give not to a financial sheet or to a budget. You give to ministries that change the lives of people. And then you're encouraged to share Christ with others. And there's nothing that you and I could do that would have a greater impact on someone's forever than to share with them what we know about Jesus Christ. Even the fifth one, which is to be a self-feeder, to feed yourself, 
is so that uh, you can care for yourself and be in the right condition so that you can overflow and bless the lives of others and, and gain from the knowledge that you have in the scriptures to know how to love others in a better way. And so that's what we're going to be talking about for these next four weeks. We're going to be talking about moving from selfishness to being concerned and loving and serving others. In, in Matthew, the 20th chapter, we read a story about uh, the mother of James and John, the two disciples, two of the disciples. And that mother comes to Jesus and she says, hey, listen, I'm so proud of my boys. And I wondered if you'll make my boys your two vice presidents. If you'll let one of them sit on your right hand and one of them to sit on your left hand, I don't care who you put on the right. I don't care who you put on the left as long as they're my boys. And the other disciples heard what uh, the mother of James and John was asking. They got kind of perturbed by it. And there in Matthew, the 20th chapter, Jesus responds to the whole thing. In verse 25, it says, But Jesus called them to himself, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus told the disciples, your ambition should not be to be number two and number three. Your ambition should not be to have other people see you as great or influential. Your ambition should not be to gather around you all your resources and spend them on yourself. Your ambition should be my ambition. Now, the Gentiles, he says, those who are non-believers of reference in this particular passage, they do it like this. It's all about getting more power and more resources, about centering everything in self. But it's not to be that way among you. The Son of Man, referring to himself, has come not to be served, but to serve. And God's ambition is to be our ambition. Jesus' ambition, is to, his assignment is to be our assignment. Several months ago, I saw a news story uh, about uh, a fellow by the name of Darnell Barton, who's a bus driver in Buffalo, New York. In the three years that Darnell Barton has been driving a Metro bus, he's met all kinds of people. But a young lady who he came upon one recent Friday afternoon, he will never forget. Driving the Elmwood 20 bus southbound toward Buffalo State College, this on-bus surveillance shows the lady standing on the narrow ledge outside the railing over the Skajakwood Expressway. Ma'am, are you okay? And it didn't seem real because of what was going on around. You know, the traffic was going as normal, you know, pedestrians going by as normal. Ma'am, are you okay? She was, she was distraught. She was distant. She was really disconnected. I grabbed her and, um, I grabbed her arm and I put my arm around her and I said, do you, do you want to come on this side of the guardrail? And um, that was actually the first time she actually spoke to me. She said, yes. Darnell does believe it was fate. It was meant to be. I, I was supposed to be there uh, for her at that moment, and, and I was. I wanted to convey that, you know, whatever it was, I'm going to, we're going to help you through whatever it is. And it's not as serious as jumping onto the 198. Darnell thinks most of his co-workers would have done the same thing. They call him Big Country, a big man with a big heart. And after he did what he did, the passengers gave him a round of applause. 
felt like I did what I was supposed to do at the time. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a football guy, so you know, when you sit on the bench and a coach calls your number, you got to go in there and make a play, and you got to do what 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 the play calls for, and I think that's what I did. I can see Darnell playing football, can't you? <laughs> Later on in the interview, they, they talked about the fact that on the video, and I don't know whether you noticed or not, this lady is standing there about to jump off the bridge, and there's a person who just walks right by her. Didn't even look to the side. Here's a person standing on the wrong side of the rail over a highway, and they don't even glance over there. But right before he stopped the bus, there's a bicycle that rides right by this lady. As if she's invisible. She's not there. And they asked him about that. And he said, I, I don't fault those people because that wasn't their assignment. That was my assignment. I'm going to disagree with him. It was his assignment. But guess what? It was their assignment as well. Remember when someone asked Jesus uh, who my neighbor is? When he said, you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. They said, well, who is my neighbor? And then he told the story about the Good Samaritan and there were people who passed by the one who fell among the thieves had been robbed and they, they walked on the other side of the road. And really Jesus turned the question, he was saying, it's not who is your neighbor, but who will you be a neighbor to? A neighbor is anyone that your path crosses their path by the sovereign grace of God. And you have the resources to meet their need and you turn away from them? You see, Darnell saw the woman. I don't, I don't even think the other people saw her because they didn't have eyes to see her. There's a real interesting story that's found in Mark, the 8th chapter. In Mark, the 8th chapter, Jesus has gone to a little town called Bethsaida. By the way, there were three, uh, in the life of Jesus, there were three little towns on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee that he cursed. And the reason he cursed them is because they saw so many miracles and they didn't respond to it. That they had more opportunity than anybody else in his ministry and they did not respond. But in that particular town that day there was a blind man and the Bible tells us that Jesus touched his eyes. And then he asked for a report. This is a real interesting story. The man says, I can see better. I can see pretty clear but it's, it looks to me like people are walking about like they're trees. And then Jesus touches his eyes again. And here's, here's what the scripture says. And then he began to see everything clearly. Now, I always wondered about that particular miracle. What was happening that Jesus touched his eyes at first and he saw pretty clear, but he touched them again and he saw everything clearly? Was it that Jesus didn't have his miracle meter turned up high enough on that first one? Just kind of, gee, gee. How, how was that? Okay, let me, wobble. That'll get you. Because we don't see that in the other miracles. Usually when he does something, he does it all the way. I think it's a metaphor for us. I really do. That some of us have been touched by Jesus the day that we invited Christ into our life to be our Savior and to be our Lord. But some of us need to be touched by him again. Some of us need a second touch. So we begin to see that we were not just saved from sin, but we were saved to something. We were saved not only from our selfishness but we were saved for otherness some of us need to have our eyes touched again those of us who wear glasses we know that there's a big difference between seeing pretty clear and seeing really clear and it can make a difference of you reading the right information on a prescription bottle a traffic sign it's important that we see clearly 
And some of us need to have a second touch from God as followers of Jesus Christ so that we can see the people around us who are in need every day. I just finished a wonderful book called Essentialism. And in that book, the author talks about how our lives can get cluttered up with so much stuff that we don't get the stuff that really matters done. And here's what he said in the book. He said, when we're unclear about our purpose, we become defenseless against distractions. What he's talking about is there's some decisions we make in life, and once we make those decisions, it makes a thousand other decisions for us. He goes on to write, but when we have a strong internal, when we have a strong internal clarity, it's almost like we have a force field around us protecting us from wrong choices. Have you made the change? Have you understood? Have you come to the point where you stop looking at everything in terms of what it does for you or how it benefits you or what other people think about you or how comfortable you are? And you've made that change and you have a clarity of purpose like Jesus had a clarity of purpose when he said the Son of Man has not come to be served but to serve. Do you understand why God put you in the family that he put you in? To serve, not to be served. Or why he put you in the workplace by his sovereign will. He put you in the workplace or the school that you attend. You're not there by accident. He put you there because you have resources that the people in that environment need, desperately need. Whether it's an encouraging word, whether it's wisdom, whether it's financial assistance, whether it's a physical act. Do you understand why God put you in the neighborhood that he put you in, in the community that he put you in? Do you understand why God put you in the church that he's put you in? See, everybody in church is either customer or server. You know there's a difference. There are people, uh, you go into a restaurant, there's only two kinds of people in a restaurant. Those people who are being served and those who serve. Same thing's true in a church, same thing's true in a family, same thing's true in a community, same thing is true in a school. You're in one category or the other. What category have you decided that you're going to live in? Earlier we read from Philippians that said, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look after your own interest, but also for the interest of others. How do you get there from where we are? How do we move forward in our maturity in Christ when it comes to the most important issue, which is the issue of loving and serving others. Look at the second passage that you have in front of you on your worship guide. It comes from Matthew, the 11th chapter, in verse 28, because I think it's the answer for us. And if we can wrap our minds and our hearts around this truth, it will set us free to move forward to where God is calling us to be. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His audience are those who are weary and heavy laden. Anybody here weary? Anybody here just tired today? You got so much stuff to do and you've done so much stuff and you just don't know how you're going to get it all done. You're just worn out. Anybody fall in that category? I'd ask you to raise your hand, but that'd take too much energy. (laughs) Anybody heavy laden? 
Anybody have the burden of financial dilemmas or health concerns or family issues or work problems? I think that's an invitation that we all would yearn for. Come unto me, those of you who are weary. Come unto me, those of you who are heavy laden. And what does he promise? He's going to give us rest. Sometimes he gives us rest by changing our circumstances, by relieving some of those burdens, by giving us energy. Sometimes he just changes our perception of those things so they don't bear down on us so much so they're lighter to carry. But he invites us who are weary and those of us who are heavy laden to come to him and he's going to give us rest for our souls. Great invitation. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end in just the act of receiving. He says, then when, when I do that for you, then I'm going to give you my yoke. And, and don't worry about it because the yoke I'm going to give you, the burden I'm going to give you is easy and it is light. What, what is the burden? What is, what's involved in this great exchange? Is he, he takes our weariness and he takes our burdens and he exchanges the weariness of others and the burdens of others. If you've ever been involved in that exchange, you know that the weariness of others doesn't tire you out quite as much. And the burdens of others are fairly easy to get up underneath. They're never as heavy as our own, even if they're exactly the same burdens. You see, God has not just saved us from sin. He's saved us to a ministry, to, an, a, vision, to a vision, to an assignment that was his assignment. Not to be served, but to serve others. And when we can understand that, that when he relieves us of our weariness and he gives rest to our souls and he takes our burdens and he bears them with us, then it sets us free to love others. Let's go back and look at the great commandments again out of uh, Mark, the 12th chapter. In verse 30, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second greatest commandment is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Have you ever picked up on the fact that commandment number one and number two are connected in such a way that if you obey commandment number one, which is to enter into a right relationship with God, it allows you to keep number two. It's when you love God back. It's not that we love God, but that he first loved us and he gave his life as a ransom for us. When we enter into that, when we respond to his love, he takes the greatest burden of our life away, which is the burden of our sin and the condemnation that hangs over us. He allows us to stop dragging our past behind us like a ball and chain. And he sets us free. He says, come and love me, and this is what will happen. I'll give your soul's rest. And then I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you can't really obey the second greatest commandment until you obey the first greatest commandment. And, and the truth is that there's, wor there's a world filled with people who are trying the best they can to love their neighbors. But they get frustrated, and they get disillusioned, and they get weary in the process. And they don't quite give it all that they need to give in order to provide the solution. And it's because they haven't yet been relieved of their burdens from God. See, friends, that's the key. That's the secret. It's when we come to him and he gives us relief. We are then free 
to love others in a way that we could never love if that burden wasn't lifted off of us. One of the largest passenger planes in the world currently is the A380, the Airbus 380. It's almost as long it's, uh, as a football field. And it will hold 555 passengers. And when all 555 passengers are on there and their 50-pound luggage and the folks who paid extra for that second 50-pound luggage, it weighs 1,200,000 pounds. And yet it flies. I don't know about you, but it always amazed me. And I've been to the airport many times. I've flown many times. But I always look at that plane as we're, we're coming onto it, and I, and I see all that metal there, and I see all those overweight people getting on. <laughs> Chief among sinners. And I'm amazed still to this day that the, that, that huge uh, piece of metal with all those people and all that luggage, it flies. And the reason it amazes me is because I understand the law of gravity. The law of gravity is what keeps me from dunking a basketball, all right? That, my height. But what happens is, is the law of gravity, if the wings of the plane are tilted just right, and the speed is just right, the law of gravity is superseded by the law of aerodynamics. And that huge million-plus-pound plane flies at 30, 40,000 feet above the ground. There is a law that is at work in your life and mine. The Bible calls it the law of sin and death. It's what causes you and I to be as selfish as we are. And we are grounded. We cannot love others like God has called us to love others until the law of sin and death is superseded by the law of the spirit and life. And when we enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and he forgives us of our sin and he meets all of our needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus according to Philippians 4.19, then and only then are we able to make progress toward being concerned about others. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, in verse 13, Paul said it this way. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The day you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you received a freedom. And a part of that freedom was not just a freedom from the punishment of sin. It was not just the freedom from the power that sin has over your life. But it's a freedom to love and serve others. And Paul warns us, do not squander that opportunity. Do not miss the chance to use that freedom for the benefit of others. This past week I was in Israel once again. And I went to those places that are so meaningful there. I went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus knelt before the Father and facing the cross and knowing what it contained he said father if it's possible let this cup pass from me but not my will nevertheless but your will be done and he decided to die on the cross for me somewhere in that garden i went to the tower of antonio and i stood on those steps somewhere in that courtyard is where they took jesus and they whipped him and they beat him about the face and they plucked his beard and they spat in his face 
I went to the region that they believe that Calvary existed at one time, a rock quarry, where Jesus Christ hung on a cross until every last drop of blood drained from his body for my behalf. And I was reminded again what he went through for us. I read this week out of John the 13th chapter. And in John the 13th chapter, it's the night before all that happens. It's the night before he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and Caiaphas, the high priest's uh, guards come and take him and put him in a dungeon. It's the night before he's whipped by the Romans and he's put on that cross. It's the night before all that is before him and he knows that's before him. And he and the disciples are having dinner together. And the problem is, and you know the story, they're in a rented room. Now, if you were in a normal home, there would be somebody in the home that would wash the dirty feet of those who traveled to that dinner, open shoes and dusty roads. It was just a part of the custom of that day that somebody would take a towel and they would take a, a basin of water and they would clean your feet off as you came in to have dinner. Usually that was a servant in the home or if, it, if you didn't have a servant at home, it was the lowest ranked person, the youngest kid who could pick up a towel and a basin. But they weren't in anyone's home. There was no servant. There was no child to do this task. Nobody wanted to be seen as the lowest rank. Certainly not James and John, whose mom went to bat for them to be right and left. And so you know what happened. Jesus got up. And he took the towel and he took the basin and he cleaned the disciples' feet the night before he was crucified. Been real easy to have been distracted by this thing called the cross. Real easy to be distracted by the fact that he was about to bear the shame and the guilt for all the sin of the entire world. But even in something small, Jesus stayed true to his assignment, to his task, and that was to serve rather than to be served. In John, the 13th chapter, in verse 3, there's some insight of why he was able to do that. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about, and then he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus knew who he was. He wasn't worried about what anyone would think about him or how they would view him. In, in the earlier passage that we read out of Philippians, if you read the scripture around it, it says that he being in the form of God did not think that that perception was something that he had to be grasped. He had to hang on to. But he humbled himself and he allowed people to see him as a mere man. And he gave it all away. How could he do that? Because he knew who he was. Do you know who you are? You're a child of the king. He knew where he came from. And he knew where he was going. Friends, we know how this thing's going to end, don't we? Our team wins. You know, everybody's going to get all excited about Super Bowl. They're going to forget about that about a month after that and start talking about who's going to win the next one. But we're living real life here, friends, and we know who wins. We know what team comes out ahead on this thing. 
Why are we so concerned about what people think about us or what is our fair share or what people are, are doing for us? My mom for years had a job in the Dallas area where she, a part of her job was to go from time to time to conventions and to be stage manager. Now, if you've never done that, it means that basically you're in charge of making sure everything works well. And so she had to make sure the right furniture was on stage and the sound and the lights were correct and that the right people were lined up for their part and when they were to come on the stage and how they were to come after that. It was a pretty complex job for a very large, multi-thousand convention, and she was pretty good at it. And she did that for several years, and there was one year that my dad was able to go with her, and he saw what she did and really had a greater appreciation for what she was doing, but they were coming home on the plane, and when they got on the plane, there was a man who was trying to put his luggage in the overhead bin, he was having trouble, and my mother stood up and started telling him how to put it in. And my dad grabbed on her jacket, and he said, sit down, Francis, this is not your meeting. <laughs> By the way, I get my personality from my mom. You may or may not be aware of that. Some of us think this is still our meeting. This is not our job. This is not our assignment. And my God shall meet all of your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. What does that set us free to do? To have a different assignment. To be totally free to love and to serve others. And the way that God actually is going to meet some of our needs is when some other people have their needs met and they, we're a part of their others. That's a part of his plan. A plan that is not about selfishness, but is the wonderful experience of loving others and being gracious to others and forgiving others. And being generous to others, even as God is doing that to us. This is not your meeting. It's not your meeting. It's not your assignment. Let's thank God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're not asking us to not have our needs met. But that you're promising us that somebody who's better at it than we are is going to worry about that so we can worry about others. Thank you, dear Father, for giving us a privilege of being a part of making a difference in this world in some small way as we serve, as we give, as we share, and as we connect with others. Dear Heavenly Father, help us not to live in fear. When, when we feel like that we're getting shorted and when we feel like maybe for a short time that we're not getting everything that we think we need, help us to trust that you know what we need and when we need it. And help us to have open eyes to all the people around us that you have put in our life that need our resources, need our encouragement. Touch us again, Father, so that we can see clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.